song is called, Oh Happy Day. Because this is indeed a day of rejoicing. Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 1. We'll be talking about the resurrection, but keeping in the flow of our series of Acts, our series in Acts, and just reading Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. So open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible of your own or you'd like to read in the same version as I'll be reading, that's the ESV, raise your hand and our ushers can bring a Bible right to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Just raise your hand right now. They'll bring you a Bible. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I see a hand raised here in the front. Good. Other hands are raised. Go ahead. Raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. We have plenty of them. No, the problem is, though, they're small print. That's to encourage you to get your own. Amen. I don't feel bad saying that because, you know, what? we invest in anything that we think is worthwhile. Invest 30, 40, 50 bucks in a good Bible. You can buy one cheaper than that, but buy a good study Bible. Uh, you might want to invest that much. Young people, you invest that in shoes all the time. I shouldn't say that. More like 130 bucks for shoes. <laughs> and up. <laughs> and up. So it's not too much to ask you to invest in hearing from God and reading his word. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Please follow along. Listen attentively. As I read, the Word of God says, In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you. For your word today is through your word that we come to know your plan, your purpose. It's through your, your word that your Holy Spirit convicts our hearts 
of its truth and brings us alive like a seed planted in the earth. It doesn't just grow of its own. You bring the right conditions that it grows. You bring the seed, you bring growth. The Holy Spirit does that with your word and creates within us individuals who believe in Christ, repent from our sin, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what this day represents, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we don't just celebrate it today, but every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. We celebrate the greatest event in all of history, Jesus rising from the grave. And so, Lord, help us to realize the significance of it and to pattern our lives in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has victory over death, sin, and can give us that victory as well. Bless this time as we spend in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Please be seated. Choir, would you come at this time for our special music? And after the special music from our choir, we'll present the uh, preaching of God's word on this text. Think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to know that it is indeed the greatest event of all of history And yet, here, here's the thing. People can't even dispute the fact of the resurrection. I mean, they can in ignorance, and I mean that. If they ignore facts and ignore evidence and ignore truth. So the basic challenge to the resurrection is that just can't be true. That's one challenge. Nobody dies and then come back to life. Well, we know there's very few instances of people coming back to life. I, I'm not talking about what you see in a magazine and you check out in the uh, grocery store of some way out story that just doesn't mean much. I'm talking about evidence and factual things. But this has never happened that a person predicts that they're going to be killed. They predict that they're going to rise again and they predict the very day that that's going to happen. And they predict that in such a way that all of their enemies and opponents know that and can't stop it. First of all, no one has ever predicted their death and that they would rise again and pull it off. No one. No one. I'm not talking about just in the last 10 years or in the last 20 years, or in your lifetime, I'm talking about since Adam and Eve. 
ever has that happened. And so what people do today is they don't want to be bound by the facts. And they just choose to ignore it. They conveniently, conveniently act as if it isn't, as, it, as if it hasn't happened. That's like going out in the rain in a thunderstorm and acting like it's not raining. But that's the game that people play today. I want you to notice how the Bible addresses this fact. The proof of the resurrection. The Bible does give proofs and the evidence for the resurrection so that we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can know that this is sound thinking. It's not common thinking. You're not going to get a lot of people to agree with you, but it is sound thinking. It is based on truth and not a lot of wild stories. There's a reason why I don't like the tales that are told about the Easter bunny and the start of spring and all these things, because it makes our children think that this is another made-up story. There's a reason why I don't like the Santa Claus lie, because it makes children think and it makes people think that this is just some fairy tale or some made-up story instead of actual history. You know, you shouldn't even look at your watch without thinking about Jesus. Because the very day that it is and the time is based on him. Now, I know we're trying to rewrite that in history and trying to change things so that it's not based on that, but you can't change the facts. The world centers on the Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't center on him, you will be off. You will pay the penalty. So I want to read in Acts chapter 1, the proof of the resurrection. Before we get to Acts, you notice in this, in this, uh, in this writing, Luke is the writer, and he says, uh, I've written these things he says, verse 2, uh, uh, all that Jesus began both to do and teach, in verse 1, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. The writer of the gospel of Luke and the writer of Acts, the same person, says, I want to show you the evidence and give you the factual information that Jesus showed himself alive after the passion speaks of, of his crucifixion. After he died on a cross, he showed himself alive. So I want to look at a few of those things. First of all, uh, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, I'm going to go through some of these um, straightforward and quickly, but I want you to hear and I want you to know the basis for our faith. Matthew 27, verse 57. This speaks of what happened after Jesus died. It says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arithmetheia, 
named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Stop right there. Joseph admittedly was a follower of Christ. He one who believed in Christ, but he got official permission from Pilate to care for the deceased body of Jesus. He went to Pilate, the authority, and he asked for permission. Now, Pilate would not give this body to him if, in fact, Jesus wasn't already dead because of what Pilate knew that the Jews who hated Jesus, they wanted to make sure that he was dead. And so Pilate did that, and upon knowing that this one was dead, he said, okay, Joseph, go ahead, take his body and prepare it for burial. Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen, in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in a rock. Now, it's, it's it's important that it tells us that, that Joseph was a rich man because he had the means to buy and to own this land which was perfect for burial, and that's what he did. He owned it, and he took this cave, and he had Jesus' body laid in that. Now, if you've ever seen a picture, we talk about the rock that was laid in the opening of the tomb um, what, 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 what you should be imagining and vision is kind of an opening to a cleft in a rock, kind of like a cave, but it, it, it's, it's just a cleft. It doesn't have another entrance. It's just that opening. And it's on a slight incline, and if you can imagine a huge boulder being rolled down that slight incline to seal that opening so it would be shut. So the tomb is secured. Well, let's read on. It says in verse 62. Well, where did I stop? Verse 60. He laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in a rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remembered how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Now, that's interesting. They knew what Jesus said. You know, a lot of times when Jesus preached it, they act like they didn't understand what he was saying. Oh, but they knew what he said. He had made it clear that I am going to be put to death, but after three days, I will rise. And so, you know, in this text, they call him an imposter. That's what the enemies would think of him. And it says, verse 54, Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his apostles go, his disciples go, and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud be worse than the first. So the rulers go to Pilate and they know, uh, uh, um, they want to make sure that this can't happen. What does Pilate do? Verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. You see what happened? 
They were there at the time. So as Joseph is preparing this, the guards are there by Pilate's order to make sure it's secure. Now, you're not going to make it secure unless you are sure that the body is in there, and that body is Jesus. That the body is there. The stone is set. It's sealed. In other words, there's a stamp in in essence of, of, of we have checked this. We stake our reputation on this. It's sealed. Nobody can tamper with this without us knowing about it. And besides that, they set guards. So now that we know it's sealed, let's make sure nobody else comes and changes anything. And that's what they did. If you continue on in chapter 28 of Matthew, verses 1 through 6, you'll see that the angel comes to roll the stone away while the guards are there trembling in fear. In other words, their their job is to protect and to stop anybody from tampering with that stone. But the angel comes and they don't want none of that. But what does the angel do? See, the angel is not rolling the stone away to take the body out. The angel is rolling the stone away so that all can come and see that there's no body in there anymore because he has risen. You see, people will say, well, you know, I wanted to see it happen. I wanted to see him rise up from the dead and and, and then go. You don't have to see that if you saw him get killed Saw the body get put into the stone, put it into the grave and sealed, and then see him later on alive. And that's what happened. When do you see him alive? Well, in Acts, Luke says he made many infallible proofs. In other words, he showed himself to lots of people. And here's a few right here in Matthew chapter 28. In verse 8, it says this. These are the women who came to dress the body of Christ after he had died. And they got there, and what they see is an angel. What they see is an empty tomb, and they get the the message from the angel that he's not here anymore. He's risen. In fact, the angel says in verse 6, he's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. (laughs) They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Jesus first appears to this group of, of women to let them know that he is in fact alive. He has died. He is now alive. They go back to tell the disciples, you can kind of put all the Gospels together, you get this story, that they go to the disciples and tell him he's a lot, and the disciples don't believe him. No, no, you know, get out of here. 
and eight days. No, no, but we saw him. We talked with him. We went to the tomb. It was empty. An angel told us he's risen. And then as we were coming out, we saw him. We talked to him. So they spread the news. Jesus appears to other disciples on that same day. You can read that account in Luke chapter 24. We call that the, the two on the road to Emmaus. The two, two disciples or followers of Christ. And they were talking about the events of the day. And Jesus met with them and talked with them. They didn't know who he was at first, but he's letting them know who he is, he slowly reveals himself to them. He's revealing himself so that people might know that what he said is absolutely true. He then appears to the group of disciples in John chapter 20. The first meeting he met them was with, with all the disciples there except for Thomas. And then a week later, he meets with them again, and he appears to all of them, and this time Thomas is there. You know um, the, the story of Thomas who doubted and said, unless I see his body and the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, I won't believe. And so a week later, Jesus came and appeared to all the disciples again and says, Thomas, come here. Look, I want you to see the evidence. This is me. You see the nail prints in my hand. You see the prints in my feet. I was the one hanging on the cross. I indeed died. I am risen again. Go back to Acts chapter 1 with me, and let's look at kind of like, where do we go from here? In Acts chapter 1, you notice in verse 2, Jesus had given commands or instructions to his apostles of what should happen next. And he had spent some time, if you read Scripture, you realize that since his resurrection, he spent 40 days on earth teaching his disciples, meeting with them, interacting with them after his crucifixion and after his resurrection. And when we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, you see Jesus, what we call that his ascension, when he goes up out of this earth back to heaven. So between his resurrection and that ascension was about 40 days that he spent. And in his 40 days, he interacted with lots of people. We learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he interacted with over 500 people at once in a meeting with them. So these are, are individuals who all saw the risen Savior and gave proof of it. And so in Acts chapter 1, he gives instructions to them. What should they do now? What is their job to do? He says, first of all, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit to you. And after I send the Holy Spirit, I'll give you further instruction. In verse 6, it says, now when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples have a question, and they wonder, what, what should happen now? Now that you have been killed, now you are risen from the dead, aren't we waiting for the kingdom? They always thought that, that Jesus would establish his earthly kingdom, 
and he would go ahead and dominate and rule as it had been prophesied. The only problem is they had the timing wrong. Jesus, in fact, is going to do that. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to return to earth. In fact, if you look at me with verse 11, when the, when the uh, uh, angels announced, he says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the way you saw him rise into the sky. He's going to return one day back to earth. But here it is. It's the timing of it that you aren't sure of or you haven't you and I haven't been given that information in fact they asked the disciples asked Jesus what's going to happen next are you now ready to establish this kingdom the kingdom of God is it now going to be established here on earth this is what Jesus says to them it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority he didn't say it's not going to happen. He says it's not for you to know that fact or that truth yet. You're not, he's not going to give any one of us the timing of that. But what is for them to know and what is for them to do? He says, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's, there are some unknowns that we battle with as Christians. And one of them is the timing of God. I'm always asking God about his timing. You probably are too. Every time you pray, you say, why not now, Lord? Why not? You know, it's just like a little child to, 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 to mom or dad. Give me, give me, give me. When can I get that jacket? When can I get them pair of shoes? Why not? I got to wait for payday, right? When, when is it going to happen? Why not now? And so the disciples are asking this question, why not now? And Jesus simply answers, it's not for you to know. I'm not going to tell you is what he's saying. I'm not going to tell you when all this is going to happen, but I want you to be faithful serving me until it happens. So the charge that he gave to the disciples is the same charge that he gives us today is I'm going to make clear my instructions to you, but I'm also going to tell you that you're not going to know all my timing. What is he clear about? This is what he's clear about. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses everywhere. That's a very simple, clear message, not just to his disciples then, but to all of us today. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, he's saying I'm sending because the Holy Spirit had never at that point dwelt or lived within believers. But Jesus says, now that I'm leaving, I'm going to leave some of me with you so that you will have the power, that you will have the comfort that you need, the wisdom, the insight, the, the, the word from me that you need. And that's the Holy Spirit living in each and every believer. By the way, Romans 8 says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. Making it clear that every believer has, in fact, living within them God's Holy Spirit. Jesus is true to his promise. He sent his Holy Spirit to instruct us, to engage us, to empower us, to encourage us for the work that God has for us to do. And what is that work? It's very simple. He says, go. 
and be a witness. Go and be a witness. He says, start with where you live and where you are right now. In Jerusalem, spread out from there. Don't stop there. Go to Judea, to Judea and, and, and continue spreading this good news, this gospel, until the earth is filled with the message of the gospel. That's still our mission today. Go out and spread. Be a testimony. What is, what is a testimony? It's a witness. A witness is one who just tells the truth about what they have seen and heard. Here's the truth right here. And God has opened up our eyes. The Holy Spirit has administered so that we might know who this Jesus is and show others. You know, the world desperately needs this message. They're running around trying to, trying to make sense out of everything, and, and, and that's why they, it's so messed up. They are worshiping what they should not worship. They are following what they should not follow. Uh, they are, 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 are submitting to what they should not submit. They're failing to submit to who they should submit to. Jesus says, go and be a witness of who I am. And what I've said. What happens next? I want you to see that. You can imagine. I want you to see. When you, when you finish verse 8, it says in verse 9, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. In other words, Listen. There's nothing more that needs to be said. Jesus says, I've given you instructions. I'm out of here. While they were looking at him, he just went up into the earth, into the sky. The Bible says he went into heaven. He ascended from earth, left this earth, and went on into heaven. Now, you and I can imagine the disciples are like, what just happened? Wait, 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 wait Jesus, what, what, we got more questions. Jesus, no, I've told you all that you need to know. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who will give you power, who will give you, who, who, who will give you the uh, ability to do what I've called you to do. And here's what I've called you to do. Go out and be a witness about me. Tell others about me. Now, I, I call it the, the drop the mic experience. That's it. He said it all. There's nothing to be said. And they're standing there with their mouths wide open. Verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven as he went. Can, can, can you picture that? Can you picture that? Gazing into heaven. Gazing is like your eyes are fixed, right? And you can't look at nothing else. Your eyes are focused on that one thing. And in fact, the one thing you was focused on is no longer there because he disappeared, right? He didn't stay there for their, for, in their sight. He moved out of their sight, but they're still looking up like, huh, huh, where, 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 where did he go? Come back. Um, you know, we're not finished yet. They're gazing into heaven. I think that's where some people are today. Some believers are gazing. 
They're looking bewildered like they don't know what to do even after they've gotten clear instructions. That's, that's where a lot of us are. Jesus gives us a little push. I understand why you're gazing. Because there's a lot of drama that just happened. You're still trying to digest all that just happened and all that Jesus did. And it's okay to, to, to struggle with that because in, in a way we'll never get over that. I mean, that, that's just amazing. You ever see something that you want to tell somebody else about and, and you don't know how to explain it and, and you don't even know where to start and, and, and you, you, you said what you had to say but it doesn't seem to do the job. It's like you want to say more but there's nothing else to say. And so you just kind of bewildered like, man, you just had to see that. That's how the disciples are here. They were like, And they, they are, in a sense, paralyzed in awe. We call it awestruck, right? That's what they are. They're... Angels come. As they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. That's an interesting way to describe angels. They, they look sort of like us, and so we can relate to them, but <laughs> they're a whole different set. He says, uh, notice the white robes. That kind of shows the distinguished from, from us. Um, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Isn't that an interesting question? Why are you gazing? Why are you awestruck? In other words, stop being paralyzed and sitting there doing nothing. Stop looking because there's nothing more to look at. He's gone. He did what he said he's going to do. And now what do the, the, the angels instruct him to do? Why do you stand looking into heaven? It's interesting. The angels don't actually instruct them to do anything. I think, I think this is a rebuke. It's a kind of encouragement, but in an encouragement is a slight rebuke as well. Stop sitting there looking dumb. Stop sitting staring, doing nothing. He's basically saying, we'll get going. We'll get going. Fellas, don't just stand here, look. Don't stand here looking, get moving. He's going to come back, but I don't intend for you to stand here gazing until he comes back. Get busy. Get busy is what he's saying. The whole message is this. It's past time for standing and gazing. It's time to actually do what Jesus has called us to do. Very simple instruction. Jesus has said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and I want you to go and be a witness. And then he was out of there, and they're looking. And the angels are going, stop staring, man, get going. Stop staring and get moving. Stop acting like you're in a paralyzed state and get moving. You know, we look for some great message to come from the pulpit. 
We look for God to do some exciting, magnificent thing. He already has. My whole job is to tell you, get moving. When you leave here, get moving. Get busy for God. Walk in the way he wants you to walk. Engage in the way he wants you to engage. Let your life be about a witness for him. Stop the gazing. Now, there's a moment that he knows we're going to be gazing. We're going to be amazed. But then the angel comes and why are you still standing here? It's time to get busy. Father, I pray that you would light that fire in us as you did with the disciples. I'm sure in those 40 days, they had a lot going on, a lot to digest, a lot to understand. But your instructions were very straightforward and very simple. You would send them the Holy Spirit, and you gave them a job to do. Our job is simple. And you don't want us standing in amazement doing nothing. You want us engaging, speaking, telling, testifying, talking to people, sharing your truth everywhere that we go. So I pray, Lord, that after we have believed, we are convinced of the truth. We might also be convinced that it's time for us to act. It's time for us to move. It's time for us to do it's time for us to obey. It's time for us to be faithful at the task that you've given us to do, to share within our families, as parents, to share within our friends and our groups, to share with our mouths, to share with our examples and our testimony so that we live consistent with the gospel that you've given us. It's an important message. You've given us an important task. We're to go. To go. You promised in Matthew 28 that you, Jesus, would be with us. You told us to go, and lo, you would be with us until the end of the age. We thank you for your presence. Now, we pray, Lord, right now we will commit ourselves to doing just that. Doing, sharing, speaking, being a witness in the testimony with our whole lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we are dismissed.